Father, we pray that we would glorify you. We pray that uh, we would rely on your Son, that we would abide in him, that we would confess sin, that we would renew our minds, uh, not being conformed to this world, but being transformed, that we might prove what your will is, that which is good and acceptable. I pray we do that this morning as we come before your word, that we would confess any sin in our lives, any compromise, uh, any wrong decisions, any uh, things that are displeasing to you, Lord God, any area we haven't trusted you, any area we're not submissive. I just pray for that, that we would prepare our hearts before you, that we would receive your word and allow it to do its work in our lives. Lord, we thank you for your word, that you do use it to grow us in respect to salvation, and I pray that you would do so now. pray this in your son's precious name. Amen. But we live in a culture in which uh, standing up for your rights has uh, really been ingrained in us. Uh, we live in a culture that fosters independence. And if you're a true believer, uh, you'll understand that uh, that rebellion and a lack of submission are part or parcel of the way our sinful nature uh, functions. We, by our sin nature, don't want to submit to authority uh, unless that authority benefits us in some way or not. Yet when we come to Jesus Christ, when we are born again, when we have a changed heart, we have a changed heart, we see things differently. We see things from God's perspective. And as he illumines his will and his word from his word, we are then convicted concerning the way we used to think versus how we are to think. We're going to see indeed that submission is not sinful, that God has ordained relationships. He's ordained, as we'll see today, the governing authorities. He has ordained masters to submit to their, uh, or slaves to submit to their masters, the work relationship. He's ordained that husbands, uh, that for, that wives submit to their husbands, husbands submit to the Lord. He's ordained that children obey their parents. He has instituted authority within relationships. Yet as I've seen in the life of the church and in my life, uh, inherently we have a problem with submitting. We have a problem with that. Usually we find ourselves at times in difficult situations and we don't want to submit. We want to get out of those situations or change those situations. Christians do this all the time. Work gets hard, split and get a different job. Uh, Difficulty in marriage, separation and divorce. What about difficulty with the church? Hey, go to another church. Happens all the time. People don't want to submit. We don't want to submit in our old nature. But God has ordained relationships. And today we begin to see the application of staying far away from our fleshly lusts. And I find it's interesting he begins with the issue of submission to government. You see, it's so easy for us when we are being persecuted or or we don't believe someone is right, maybe they aren't, to not submit to that authority because we believe we have the right not to. And there's nothing new under the sun Those in Peter's time, they were suffering under Nero. It was difficult. And I believe, as we'll see today, they were tempted to disobey, to not respect, to not honor, to not submit to the evil governing authorities because they were Christians. Today we're going to see how we are to behave in the midst of an ungodly world. And it's going to begin with how we are to relate to government. Would you turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter? And we're going to be looking... At chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. First Peter, chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. Sounds like you're already, already there. You already knew where I was going. Now, just again, a little context for the book of First Peter. It's important to realize that Peter is writing to believers in Asia Minor. It is probably early, late 63 A.D. or early 64 A.D., It is literally within months before Nero would pour out his fiery ordeal upon believers. He would blame the burning down of Rome on Christians. Christians would suffer very harshly in Rome. They would also suffer within the empire. Uh, Later on in 1 Peter, Peter says, Don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal which is coming upon you. It has come upon you uh, as though some strange thing were happening. He talks about suffering for Christ. And Peter, in this, in this letter, has began by sharing the great salvation that we as aliens and sojourners chosen by God have. 
that we've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That we have a tremendous salvation which gives us an eternal hope which is alive and a future inheritance in heaven that is reserved for us. And we have a salvation that is ready to be revealed, ready to be revealed at the last time. Yet within that, Peter does remind them in the beginning, chapter 1, of the temporal realities of suffering. If necessary, if God deems it necessary, that we might suffer for a little while. But we should rejoice in our great salvation, knowing what God is doing in that in spite of the suffering. And also what he is doing through the suffering. What he's doing is he is uh, refining us. He is refining us like precious metals. He is weeding out the dross, getting that out, that we might reflect his glory, that we might become more like Christ. And therefore, we need to be rejoicing in the reality of what God is doing, even in the midst of trials, if God perhaps might deem necessary. And these trials certainly are demonstrating or proving our faith. You see, we can say we have faith, we can think we have faith, but the minute something difficult comes on us, then we really see whether we are trusting in Jesus. It demonstrates our faith. Then if you'll remember, in the rest of chapter 1, Chosen sojourners uh, who have a great salvation in Christ were commanded to do some things. We were commanded to fix our hope on the grace to be brought to us when Christ Jesus is revealed. We were commanded to be holy because he is holy. We were commanded to live in the context of godly fear because God is an impartial judge and he sent his son to pay the full penalty for our sins who shed his precious blood. We are to love the body of Christ because we've been born again unto a love of the brethren. We've been born by a different seed. We've been born by this, which is the, through the living and abiding word of God that was preached to us. We are commanded to yearn for the pure milk of the word. We're commanded to long for it, that by it we might grow in respect to our relationship with Christ in respect to salvation. And then in chapter 2, after that portion, we saw some encouragement for believers what God is doing in the lives of true believers. He is building us up. If you, if you truly come to him, if you truly tasted his kindness, as we come to Jesus Christ through his word, he is building us up as a spiritual house, as holy priests to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to him. We are being built up to bring him glory and honor. And we saw that the precious value of Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone, is for us who believe. But yet there was a warning for those who disbelieve. Jesus Christ will be your eternal damnation. You will stumble over him to your eternal punishment because you have rejected the only means of salvation, Jesus Christ. And then we saw Peter share the unique identity of true believers. Tremendous reality that we are a distinct kind. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are a people for God's own possession that... As having been called out of darkness to light, we would proclaim his excellencies. Because we used to not be a people, but now we are the people of God. We hadn't received mercy, but now we have received mercy. Wonderful realities of our relationship with Jesus Christ, if you truly have tasted his kindness. And then the application portion of the letter began, and as we saw last week in verses 11 and 12. Do you remember we saw that we are temporary residents, we are aliens, we are sojourners on this earth. And we are to stay far away, to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war with our souls. We saw that. And this is the foundational statement for the rest of the application in the book, by the way. We are to be keeping our behavior excellent among Gentiles. So that in the very thing they slander you as an evildoer, When God visits them, I believe, in the context of salvation, they will glorify God for what God did through you in which they slandered you at one time. Peter is relaying very clearly that we are going to follow in the footsteps of Christ. That the way we respond to suffering and submit to authority is the means in which God brings about redemptive opportunities. It's just like he did with Christ. He used the suffering that Christ went through to bring forth our salvation. And we'll see that in chapter 2 in the end. So with this in mind, he moves now to discuss one subject, one element of our behavior among Gentiles, which is how we behave in the midst of government. 
Again, turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to, excuse me, 2, and we're going to be looking at verses 13 to 17. Now, I want to read back to verse 11, what we saw last week, and read through. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers, hey, you guys don't fit in this world, right? You're, you're, you're not of this world, right? To abstain, or we saw last week, to stay far away from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. When we yield to a lack of submission, as we'll see today, whatever it might be, the war begins in our souls and we have no peace. When we trust the Lord and do what is right, there is peace. There is peace. Which wage war against the soul. Keeping, literally keeping your behavior. Remember that, that, that portion here really wasn't an independent statement as it is in most translations. It's connected to staying far away from fleshly lust. Keeping your behavior, as we see, uh, excellent among Gentiles or really non-believers. That's what that term would mean. So that in the thing they slander you as evildoers, they may account of your good deeds. They may on a, they may on account of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. That day in which the the sunrise from on high, as Zechariah would say, visits, bringing salvation. Salvation looks upon us. Remember, we saw it literally wasn't in the day of visitation, but in a day of visitation. Some think it's speaking of the second coming of Christ. It appears to be when God visits us in the context of salvation, as we look in First Peter. And now we come to our passage. Submit yourselves. Oh, all of a sudden we all groan, right? Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and to the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men. Do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all men. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. I really think these believers, as they're listening to this, would have gone, Oh, honor the king? Who's that king? That king's Nero. He's a perverted, wicked, evil man who, who kills my brothers and sisters in Christ. Honor the king? Well, Peter is going to reveal some truths here that we're going to see. That God is sovereign over government. That God has instituted authority. And when we submit in the context of difficulty and hardship, God uses that for redemptive opportunities. And this will flush across all the relationships. We'll see this with the wife and, and also the husband in chapter 3. We'll see this. It flushes across all the relationships. So with this in mind, we have the command. It's a command by God. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Now the verb that's translated submit yourselves, actually translated both those words, comes from the Greek word hupotasso. Some of you are familiar with it. Hupo means under. Tasso means arrange or order. It literally means order yourself under. It was used in a military sense of soldiers lining up under the commanding officer. Soldiers submitting to their superior officers. For any of you that have been in the military, you understand that. Your, your office, superior officer tells you to do something, you don't say, ah, forget it. It doesn't happen that way. There's authority. And there is consequences if that authority is not honored, respected, and obeyed. Well, here we see this is submit yourselves. God is saying through Peter, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution. This word translated submission carries the idea, uh, idea of giving up your will in that circumstance, to line yourself under that authority. And key in the idea of submission is authority. Authority. And indeed, we see biblical submission is ordering oneself under Lining oneself under, it is subjection to God ultimately and the authority that he has established. The sooner we realize when God says submit to something that he is commanding us to submit, that it is ultimately his authority, the better off we will be. You see, it's ultimately submitting to God as we'll see. 
And folks, biblical submission, as I've shared, sometimes is a dirty word. Because our flesh is so strong. This body of death is still hanging out. And we are tempted day in and day out not to submit. We are tempted to rationalize why we shouldn't do what God says. But here we're going to see there is no rationale for disobeying God in this circumstance. We are to submit to the governing authorities. Now, besides governing authorities, as we'll see, God has ordained many other relationships in which there is submission. They are ordered relationships. Submission has to do not with personhood, but with position. We know that Jesus Christ submitted himself to the Father, being fully equal to the Father. There's position. Peter is fond of this idea of submission inspired by the Spirit. In 1 Peter 2.18, we are to be submissive, uh, servants are to be submissive to their masters with all respect. We see this in Titus chapter 2, verse 9 also. In 1 Peter 3, verse 1 and 5, Peter calls upon wives to be subject or submit to their husbands. We see that in Ephesians 5.24, Colossians 3.18. In 1 Peter 5.5, 5, Peter makes it clear that young men are to submit to their elders. God has ordained how we function in the midst of relationships and there is order, not independence. You see, we think we're free in Christ so we can do what we want. We're going to see a warning in a minute. Don't use your liberty in Christ to sin. Don't use your liberty to sin. We also have submission in the context of leadership with the church. We also have it in the context of submission to Christ and one another, Ephesians 5. We all are to submit to God, James chapter 4, verse 7. And as we'll see in our passage and in Romans 13 and in Titus chapter 3, it is clear that we are all to submit to the governing authorities. And again, it seems like submission has become a dirty word, certainly in the world. And why is this? Because biblical submission is in contradiction to our fleshly lusts. And I guarantee you, if you are struggling with submission, there is a war going on in your soul. You have no peace. Because our fleshly lusts wage war with our souls. Now, indeed, a lack of submission reveals pride and arrogance. If you're not willing to submit in whatever relationship God has ordained, it reveals pride and arrogance. And let me explain. Actually, turn to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. We have some examples of this. James chapter 4. James, after revealing uh, the reality of what causes our troubles, it's our desires that are in contradiction to the will of God. And at that point, we become spiritual adulteresses with the world when we follow our desires. But he says he gives a greater grace. He gives a greater grace to those who are willing to humble themselves, as we will see, and submit to God. Implying that when we follow our desires, it's a lack of submission. That's clear. When I do what I want to do, and it's in contradiction to what God says, that's a lack of submission, right? James chapter 4, verse 6, but he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Submit to God in that context. Obey his word. Stop committing adultery with the world, following your own desires with all the conflicts. Humble yourself and submit to God. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5. We see this exhortation to young men who will certainly have a great submission problem when it comes to leadership in the church. That's why we see it. Young men need to actually be thinking clearly. Titus chapter 2. They need to have sound judgment, sound minds. And young men are vulnerable to thinking they know it all. Believe me, I have teenagers. And I was one once too. Young men, he says in 1 Peter 5, verse 5. Young men, likewise, be subject, huptasso, to your elders and all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another for God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble humble yourselves before the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time casting all your anxiety upon him all of your anxiety upon him because he cares for you really at the core of all of our sin and certainly lack of submission is pride it's pride 
And we don't submit because we're sinful and we're bent to pride. And if you've ever found yourself in a position where you were unwilling to submit in the context of what God has clearly commanded, he's dealing with pride. Humble yourself. Confess your sin. Submit to God. So then back to our passage, chapter 2, verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Now we're going to look at this phrase, for the Lord's sake, in a moment, and it's very important. We're going to look at that in a minute. It's one of the main reasons why we obey what God says. Okay, we're going to look at that. But I want to look at what we are to submit to, first of all, here. He says, to every human institution. The term human comes from the the Greek word anthropine here. And it speaks of that which is of man, that which is human. Okay? We understand that because we're all humans, right? (laughs) And then the word translated institution is an interesting one here. It actually comes from the Greek word krisis, which is most often translated creation or creature. It's most often translated, when you see the word creation or creature, it's usually this word, krisis. So he's saying, in the context here, we have this idea of a human institution, or that which humans have brought about. That which they have created. Now God is sovereign over these. He leads and directs, as we'll see. But it is a creation of man. Indeed, the United States government is a creation of man, right? It is a human institution. Now, certainly this phrase can really go to all authoritative human institutions, and many commentators believe that's the case. They say it's primarily, certainly with government, but any or human institution where there is order in it. He says, submit to every human institution. You could think of a work situation, whatever it might be, or an education situation. But I think primarily, as we will see by the examples Peter gives, he is referring to government. He's referring to government. But he says, submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human institution, every human creature or creation institution. And then he gives an example, whether as to a king and as the one in authority, that would speak of Caesar at that time. When you had a Caesar, he was the king, he was the ultimate authority. And they understood that. Or to governors as sent by him, that the Caesar would send governors to different places. Felix Festus, we have governors all over who govern certain places. And ultimately, as we see here, they are for the punishment of evildoers to the, and to the praise of those who do right. And we'll look at that later. So here, you might have had, again, the shock of these believers going, Oh, Nero? Really? We have to submit to this guy? He's so evil. He's so sinful. He does sinful things. Why should we submit to him? We're free in Christ. That's sinful. That's not good. Right? But clearly, he's speaking of submitting to government here. And at that time, the government over them was Rome. It was Rome, and it was Nero in the lead. Look at Romans chapter 13, and we're going to go between three passages, basically. Romans 13, our passage here, and Titus chapter 3. So you want to keep your fingers in there, because I'm going to be going back and forth. But Romans 13, this is what Bob read. He says, let every person, or literally let every soul, and I think he says that to say, let the internal person, as we'll see, submit. It's so easy for people to submit from the outside. Yes, I'll submit. You know, you see kids do that at times, right? Yes, I'll submit begrudgingly. We've had people here at this church. I had one person who was leaving, and they said, I've submitted to you for seven years. And I said, wow, did you really, from your heart? He says, let every soul, every soul, every soul, be in subjection, every person, every soul being subjected to the governing authorities. And then as you keep your fingers there, uh, turn to Titus chapter 3, verse 1. And it's interesting, we've got a lot about this in Scripture. And so evidently, there was a problem. And I think there's a problem today also in our evangelical church. I think there's a problem at times with all of us in our attitudes towards government. And there is. Romans cha- or excuse me, Titus chapter 3, verse 1. Remind them, hey, they already know it, to be subject, there's our same word, to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient. The term rulers came from the Greek word arche, which means beginning or first, to the top, to the first. 
is used to speak of a person having authority in, in the context here, governing authorities. The term authority spoke of those with decision-making authority. Submit. Remind you guys. And it's interesting, he doesn't speak of any certain level of authority. He says, submit to them all. That's what we saw back in our passage. There are no exceptions, I believe. For us, from the meter maid to the president, no exceptions. Governing authorities. And as with Peter speaking to believers in Asia Minor, to the Roman authorities, Paul is telling Titus to submit to these Cretan authorities. And some of the Cretans weren't that good. You can look in chapter 1 as Paul uses a, a saying about Cretans. They're evil beasts and, and gluttons and liars. He said, that's true. So these evil authorities weren't the greatest, okay? We know that. We've seen corruption in government. We understand that. We have governments that do things we don't agree with that are sinful. We understand that. We understand that. And then in Titus chapter 1, he says to be obedient. It's an interesting word because it has a cognate of patho, which means to, to kind of be convinced and thus obey, and then arche, really to obey one in authority, to obey authority. You could almost translate it that way. So then, back in our passage, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13, and the others, it's quite clear. We are to submit ourselves for the Lord's sake, as we'll see in a minute, to every human institution, whether to a king to a king as one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the, and the praise of those who do right. We have the command. And God commands us to do it. When God says do something, we need to do it. But God is gracious and he loves us and he understands us and he often gives us in his word, though he doesn't have to. He gives us reasonings that help us understand from his perspective why he is commanding us. You know, there are times with children you will share, well, you need to do this. And we have to explain them. Not that, not that we have to explain it, but we want them to understand that we care for them, that what we're doing is right, it's good for them, and that submitting is the right thing to do for many reasons. And God does that for us. God does that for us. God doesn't just say, submit and close the book, right? He explains. He explains. Notice the first reason why, verse 13, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution for the lord's sake or literally on account of the lord you see obedience to the lord the lord being forefront in our mind the lord jesus is to be at the forefront of our obedience we are his servants as we'll see in a moment we're bond servants we are to be obeying him it's for his sake for the one who gave himself for us who died for our sins who who gave his life for us. And because the Lord is telling us in his word, this is our motivation for the Lord's sake. Submit. It's interesting when we see things, you know, when scriptures say, wives, submit to your husbands, you know, don't simply do it for your husband's sake. Do it for the Lord's sake. Submit to your elders in church. Don't do it for the elders' sake. Do it for the Lord's sake. Submit to government. Don't do it for the government's sake. Specifically, do it for the Lord's sake. Do it for the Lord's sake. You see, if we're true believers, the Lord should be on our minds. And we should be wanting to please him. We should be wanting to do what he wants us to do. He should be our motivation. Whatever we do in word or deed, do all into the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father, Colossians 3.17. He is our ultimate motivation and our desire, if we're true believers, should be to please him. If he says do this, we should want to please him, not argue with him. In our hearts. Let me share some passages. What does Paul say in First Peter, excuse me, not First Peter, but Ephesians chapter 5, verse 7. Let's turn there for a second, Ephesians 5. Paul is making the case to the Ephesians that we shouldn't walk the way we used to walk, that we should walk in love and give ourselves up like Christ did as a sacrifice. And that's going to mean we're not going to go into the things we used to do. We're going to want to please God instead. Instead. Ephesians 5, 7, therefore do not be partakers with them. Hey, because the people that do this stuff are going to go to hell, basically. That's paraphrasing. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Are you trying to learn what's pleasing to the Lord? 
Do it for his sake. It's pleasing to him. Trust him. Obey him. Yield to him. It's pleasing for his sake. Turn to John chapter 14. John 14, verse 15. Jesus shares in the night that he is betrayed with his disciples. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments or commands. Hey, if you have a love relationship with me, you respect me, you love me, you'll keep my commands. Notice in verse 24, he who does not love me does not keep my words. What about 1 John chapter 5? I'll read this for you, verse 3. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. For his sake, because we love him, we've now become his disciples. Matthew 28, verse 20. We are to be teaching others to obey and observe all that he has done and said. That's discipleship. It should be for the sake of the Lord, not for the sake of me or someone else. You know, if you come here and you just follow what I say for the sake of following me, you're in big trouble because I'm going to let you down. Follow the Lord. Follow the Lord in his word. Obey his word for for his sake. For his sake. For his sake. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution. I think that's the basis and key for our submission in any situation. If you are not doing it unto the Lord for his sake, you're going to become resentful. You're going to regret it. You're going to have the wrong attitude. The wrong attitude. For the Lord's sake, just do what he says. Sometimes you don't know everything. You don't understand it. We want to know everything. We want to have everything figured out rather than just obeying Christ. What's the second reason to submit to governing authorities? Let's take a look, as I told you, to Romans chapter 13. Turn there, Romans 13. We're going to see in a minute that the second reason is God has instituted authority, and if we are against it, we're against him. It's a pretty serious thing. If you resist authority, then you're resisting God. It's that simple. Even if it's evil authority, by the way, and that's what we need to understand. We don't have the right in Christ because we're free to not obey God because we make the determination that it's evil. We don't like it. So we'll see. Now, there are some caveats we'll talk about later on, Daniel and Acts chapter 5. But let's look here at Romans 13 first. Let every person, that includes all of us, be in subjection, same word, to the governing authorities. Here's why. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore he who resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause for fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister or a diakonos of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword, swords kill, by the way, for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath upon the one who practices evil. Wherefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but because also for conscience' sake, our, our, our conscience before the Lord, as we'll see. For because of this you pay taxes, for rulers are servants, or literally liturgists, they're, they're ministers of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is, what is due them, to tax who is taxes due, custom whom, whom custom due, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. The reality is, For the Lord's sake, we are to be submitting ourselves. But also we see that God explains that he's the one who has ordained these things. There is no authority except that which God has established. Now, yes, some of these authorities are not good. Nero was not good. The Roman Empire did punish evildoers, but they did other bad things too. Yes, Well, what does Jesus say to Pilate when he talks about authority? Turn to John 19, John 19, verse 9. Pilate was, uh, uh, he had the authority in this situation. Jesus is respectful, but he responds as the one who has authority over him. John 19, verse 9. And he entered into the praetorian again and said to Jesus, that's Pilate talking, coming into the praetorian, and said to Jesus, Where are you from? 
But Jesus gave him no answer. Pilate therefore said to him, You do not speak to me. You do not know that I have authority to release you and I have authority to crucify you. Jesus answered, You would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. For this reason, he who has delivered me up to you has the, has the greater sin. God is the one who gave Pilate his authority. Evil Pilate. God is the one who was sovereign over his authority. He had allowed that authority to exist. And he even allows authority and wicked authorities even to accomplish what is good, his redemptive plan, as we'll see, by the response of those who are righteous in the midst of those authorities that are not good, that slander, that are not good. So here, and if you look at Romans chapter 13, verse 2, it says, Therefore, he who resists authority... I, I, I see these signs lately. Have you seen them? Resist! That's the world. Should we be doing that? Christians have done that. Maybe not that way, but Christians, when, when the government isn't what they like, I've seen Christians do that too. Resist! I'm sorry. Therefore, he who resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves simply stated if you resist authority you resist god it's that simple submit because it for the lord's sake and because if you don't if you do not submit you're actually resisting god that's pretty clear it's pretty clear and now notice also in romans 13 why he's established those authorities notice they serve his purposes verse 3 for rulers are not a cause for fear for government. This is a general statement. Certainly there were bad rulers within Rome, but in a general sense, governments do take care of evil in a general sense, and they do praise who is good. That's in a general sense. For rulers are not a cause for fear of good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good. It's like this. If you don't want a ticket, don't speed, right? I don't have to worry about a police officer if I'm going the speed limit, Right? If I'm obeying, right? little example there. Do what is good and you will have praise from, them, praise from the same. And here we go. For it is a minister, a diaconus of God. It's a deacon of God for you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a diaconus, again, minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath upon the one who practices evil. And this is what we see in our passage he says that the governors are sent by him, chapter 1 Peter 2:14, for the punishment of evildoers and to the praise of those who do right. That's what governments should be doing by and large. Usually that's what they do by and large, but it's not perfect, as we see, because it was run by sinful, many times non-believers. Right. It's established to punish. And then we have in Romans 13:5, wherefore it is necessary to be in subjective, not subjection, not only because you can be punished, but for conscience sake. You see, we should never be obeying God because if we don't obey him, we're going to be punished or, or disciplined. We should obey God because we have a right conscience before the Lord. We want to please him. We want to do the right thing. We love him. And the same thing even with secular government. Secular government, for conscience towards God, we ought to be obeying there's a ton of applications, obviously. You know, there's the obvious one we'll see later on in Romans 13, taxes, things like that. You know, there's driving, things like that. I think we're all guilty at times. We need to rethink that in light of God's word and submit. Now we have the reality that ultimately over the authority of government is God himself. And if you oppose it, you oppose him. That's really what's going on. You know, we have a lot of Christian activists out there that are totally ignorant of the Word of God, those who would write dishonoring letters to congressmen and protest or whatever it might be, even break the law at times. There was a season where abortion protesters broke the law. Is that right? Is that right? We'll talk about that later. We are to submit for the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake. He is the one who has ordained authority, even bad authority, to accomplish his purposes. Therefore, we are to submit, otherwise we oppose him. And then the last reason, which is one of the main reasons Peter is going to lay forth here, is that when we do his will, submitting, it lays the platform for salvation for those who don't know Christ. We want to save our nation and make a Christian nation rather than save people's souls. Notice what he says here. 
submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a, a king as one in authority, or to governors. Back in First Peter two, by the way, verse fourteen, or to governors sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, to the praise of those two who do right. Here you go. For you could literally translate this because. There's different words for for that are translated in Greek that come out as for, but you could literally translate it because. Submit because. Submit because. Because such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. It's God's will, it's his desire that we submit to every, every human institution and that by doing right, doing right is submitting, by the way, for the Lord's sake. I could submit and not do right if it's not for the Lord's sake, right? But as I submit for the Lord's sake, I'm doing right. It is righteous behavior, is excellent behavior among the Gentiles, by the way. It is the opposite of fleshly lust, as we saw, that by doing this you might silence or literally muzzle. The word means muzzle. Muzzle the ignorance of foolish men. Brothers and sisters, foolish men are unbelievers. They are those living in the context of ignorance and spiritual blindness concerning their sin and the things of God. They're foolish. They are those who profess to be wise in their own estimation but are fools by God's declaration. And we were just like that. We were once foolish ourselves. Turn to Titus chapter 3. We were once foolish ourselves. We were just like them. And therefore, we ought to have a different attitude towards them, as we will see, because God was gracious to us and he saved us. Titus chapter 3. Notice how this goes together, this submitting to authority and then this other portion here that I'm going to read. Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be uncontentious. Wow, that would take away a lot of Christian protest, wouldn't it? To be uncontentious, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. For we also once were foolish ourselves. We were unsaved. We were the fools. We were the ones who saw things wrongly. We were the ones who maligned Christians. We were that way. We were hateful, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts, the fleshly lusts, obviously, and pleasure, spending our time, our life in malice, envy, hateful, hating one another. This first came to mind when he said these people saying, resist. They don't know the Lord. It's hate. It's hate. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. He saved us. We were once foolish ourselves. Now, what does it mean by, back in our passage, that by doing right, you will silence the ignorance of foolish men or non-believers? Do you remember the context of 1 Peter? Look at verse 16 in 1 Peter 3. And keep a good conscience, so that in the thing that you, in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. You see, when Christians did the right thing and they had good behavior in Christ, non-believers would revile them and slander them. They would revile and slander. And I think what we're going to see here is in context of 1 Peter that when the Lord visits them in the context of salvation, when they find out what the hope that these believers have, that they're going to be muzzled. They're no longer going to be saying those things. You may silence the ignorance now, certainly that will be silenced in judgment someday. But we pray that it's silenced in salvation. Salvation. Submission in the context of every human institution God uses as a foundation to share the truth in the midst of slander and evil towards us. It is the very same thing that God used to bring about our salvation as the world, the wicked men and women, delivered up Jesus Christ he submitted. He did not revile and return, uttered no threats, but he kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously. And he bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to God. It's his redemptive plan. He takes what Satan means for evil and turns it for good. And he does that in our lives. And our will gets in the way. And our pride gets in the way rather than submitting. 
submitting. This is why I'm so against Christian activism for righteous causes among non-believers. It's so contrary to the way that God saves people. I haven't seen anyone get saved by someone arguing politics with a non-believer. I haven't seen that. There's nothing wrong with supporting candidates you believe are righteous or whatever it might be, but being an activist... When we step out on our own wisdom and champion Christian causes in the eyes of the world, when we disobey authority, disrespect it, we damage our testimony to the world. Let your light shine in such a way that they see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Let it shine in such a way that they glorify God, not stumble. And how do we do this? Look even farther in 1 Peter. 1 Peter 3, verse 14. It's really key in the book of 1 Peter. Submission and waiting for the opportunity to share the truth in the midst of good behavior, by the way. We can all be tempted because some of the issues that we see are, are very, very strong issues of righteousness and justice and truth. But we're to submit. Notice chapter 3, verse 14. But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation. Do not be troubled. But here's what you should do instead. But sanctify Christ as Lord of your heart. Set him apart as Lord. I'm going to obey you, Lord. I'm going to do whatever you say. I'm going to do it for your sake. Set up Christ as Lord of your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you yet with gentleness and reverence. There's obviously a manifestation of hope in the midst of suffering because of Christ. They're not asking you, please tell me your political views. They're asking, why do you have hope? Why do you have hope? It's a trap to get caught up in the political thing. There's nothing wrong with supporting righteousness, but we can get focused on that. And we can even become unsubmissive in our hearts towards governing authorities. He says, Make a defense to everyone who asks to give an account for the hope that is in you yet with gentleness and reverence, and keep a good conscience so that the very thing which you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. You pray they be put to shame to repentance that they might, they might trust Christ. The Lord uses our good behavior in Christ in the midst of a hostile unbeliever's hearts to lay the door for salvation in Christ. That's more important. That's more important. It is God's will that our right behavior observed may silence or muzzle the foolishness or the fools that they might be saved when God visits them with the gospel. The stakes are high. It's life and death. Submit to every human institution. Folks, God is working on the hearts of foolish men. He is using his body to silence their ignorance, hopefully in the day that they would glorify God having been saved. That's what he's doing. We're aliens and sojourners here. Yes, there are issues that are righteous and unrighteous. There are issues that we take stands on that we agree and disagree with. But how do we do that? As we'll see in a minute, we need to do it with honor. We need to honor those who are in authority. We need to have the right attitude as we submit. Next time you're tempted to resist evil governments or not submit, remember, for the Lord's sake, submit. So that ignorant fools would become knowledgeable fools and see their sin and be saved. So let me summarize the reasons why we are to be in submission, at least from what we've seen today. God commands us that we should. That should be enough, but it's for the Lord's sake, right? Because we're his people, we want to please and we want to obey his word. Secondly, God declares that authorities are ordained by him and he uses it as ministers, his servants. And if we oppose that, we oppose him. And lastly, God uses the righteous response of his people in submission under difficult situations, even that we disagree, of ungodly governments to cause slandering unbelievers to eventually give him glory when they're saved. Now this leads to the question, do we submit in every area? Do we just, the government says do this, we say yes, we'll do that. Do we submit in every single area? Turn to Daniel chapter 3. 
Remember in the book of Daniel in the beginning, Daniel and his friends submitted to a pagan government. Daniel didn't want to defile himself, but he didn't say, you know, with the king's food. He didn't want to go against the law with the king's food, but he didn't say, I'm a Christian, I'm not going to eat your food, no way. He graciously suggested a possible difference, and he prayed and trusted the Lord, and the Lord was gracious. It was gracious. And then in, then in uh, Daniel chapter 3, we see that in obedience to the government, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were to sin by bowing down and worshiping the statue of Nebuchadnezzar, but they wouldn't do it. Daniel 3, verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in a rage, in rage, in anger, gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you did not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you have already, at the moment you hear the sound of the hoot, horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, and bagpipe, and all kinds of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made very well. But if you will not worship, so the issue is worship, by the way, here. By the way, this is the clear issue, okay? Worship, you will immediately be cast in the midst of the furnace of blazing fire, and what God is there that can deliver you out of, the, out of my hands. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king but even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Here is appropriate time to not obey government, calling upon them to worship other gods. You see in history that Christians, even in Rome's time, that when it came to the point where they had to declare Caesar as God, they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't do it. They were told to submit in, to authority in every way, but when it came to that point, they would not do that. That is the right time when you're being told to worship other gods. Then look in a theocracy in Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, this is Israel. It's speaking of Peter and John. Acts chapter 5, verse 27. And when they had brought them, they stood before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, we gave you strict orders. This is, this is orders from government, by the way, a theocracy, by the way. We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name, and behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered and said, we must obey God rather than man. He says here, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you have put to death by hanging him on a cross. He is the one who is, God has exalted to his right hand as prince and, sa and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom he has given to those who obey him. The reality is, when told to worship other gods, when told you can't share Christ, there's a time to then disobey the government. Now we'll see in the work relationships, you know, we need to submit, there's other principles, we need to submit and work. If some people say, I was trying to share Jesus, so when would you try to share him? Well, I was at work. Well, were you working? Does your boss, are you allowed to talk to him? No. You know, well, share afterwards. But here we see some specific examples, and these are the only ones we have, by the way. When the government is calling upon you to sin, I'll give the example of abortion. Do I agree with abortion? It's an evil thing. It's murder. It's wrong. But these non-believers, we don't judge. 1 Corinthians 5, God judges them. We share the truth that they might be saved and not abort kids anymore. That they would not abort. Now, if the government was telling me to abort a baby, then I would have to say no. That's the difference. That's the difference. So notice as we continue, we have a warning to be heeded because we are so sinful and we try to, we try to use Christian lingo in our minds to get around obeying God. I see this. Look at uh, verse 16 back in 1 Peter 2. Act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. You could literally translate it this way. As free, not having freedom as a veil or cover for evil, but as bond slaves of God. As free, you know, the reality is we have been set free from sin. We've been set free. We are in Christ. We are new creations. But he says not freedom for a veil or cover for evil 
Don't use that as an excuse to do evil, but use it to be God's bond slave. We've been freed from our sin and slavery to sin to serve Jesus Christ. We are not free to serve our own desires because we've been freed in Christ. It's a warning. It's a warning. Some might say, hey, I don't need to submit to government. The Romans are evil. I'm in Christ. These are bad things. Nero's wicked. I'm free to make my choices in Christ now. No. You're free to obey Christ because you were in bondage before and you couldn't obey him. Look at Romans chapter 16, or 6, Romans 6. Don't use Christ and freedom from sin and those type of things as an excuse to sin and disobey. Evidently, these people were doing this, and he has to warn them. And we can be tempted to use Christian lingo, Christian things, to say, I'm not going to do that because... No, we've been free to obey the Lord. Free to obey the Lord. Romans 6.16 Do you not know when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? Either sin resulting in death or obedience resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. Hey, you got saved through the truth that came in the teaching. And having been freed from sin, that's us, Liberty, the word you could translate liberty back in our passage. As free, having liberty. Don't use that liberty. He says, And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I am now a slave to the Lord and doing what is right. He says, I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness resulting in further lawlessness... Now present your members as slaves of, a right, of righteousness resulting in sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you deriving from the things in which you, were, which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome in eternal life. Act as free men... Do not use your freedom as a covering for evil. The context of evil is not submitting, by the way. That's the context here. Don't use your freedom as a covering. We see this in Christian activism, by the way. You see it. Use it as bond slaves, servants of God, one who has given their will over to the will of God. We're not to use our relationship with the Lord and our freedom in Christ as a cover to disobey God. It's that simple. We're commanded to obey and be in submission to all, every human institution. How much damage well-meaning Christians have done by acting in a way that was truly evil rather than doing what is right, submitting. Submitting. Well, let's finish up here. Uh, notice we have the right attitude Peter gives at this last point. Verse 17, honor all men. Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Now it's interesting, it seems like this could be just a simple statement that summarizes everything. It seems like it could be a new statement. Some say, hey, it's just a summary statement. But as I studied it, I noticed a few things. I noticed three specific groups of people, and I noticed three specific things that were to be done. You have all men, which includes the king. You have the brotherhood, which are believers. You have God, right? God, our highest authority, we fear him. We, we turn and trust in him. We, we revere him, as we'll see, because he is the one who judges each one's work impartially, and he gave his son Jesus to die for our sins. Fear God. Fear God. It is a higher calling than honoring Nero. Fear God. Fear God. Love the brotherhood. We've been saved, as we see. Look back at verse 22 of... First Peter, since in obedience to the truth you have purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart, for you have been born again not of sea which is perishable but imperishable, that is through the living and abiding word of God. Fear God, obey his word, love the body of Christ, and then honor everyone, including Nero. Right? Honor all men. Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. This term honor, 
actually speaks of ascribing value. It speaks of ascribing value to which you would then respect or honor. And we are to honor everyone. And I think we've failed in this. I've failed in this. It's so easy to look at sinful non-believers who are acting so wickedly and not honor them. You know what? Everyone is made in the image of God. Everyone. And I think we have confessing to do. I'm sure we all haven't honored everybody. We haven't seen value in everyone, no matter what their views are, no matter how much they oppose and slander. Honor all men. Honor all men. Ascribe value. And then he says, respect or honor the king. That's Nero. Submit to every governing authority. Everyone, every human institution. But submit with the right heart. Ascribing value. Because God has made everyone, they're in his image. Secondly, God placed Nero in his place. He allowed him to be there. Same thing with us. God has placed the governing authorities over us no matter whether you agree with them or not. He's placed them above us. We need to honor them. Honor them as believers. Whether they agree with our our thoughts or we agree with their policies or we don't. Honor. Here I find the reality is submission with the right heart. Submission with the right heart. You can go out, dig your feet in, and submit to government. You can submit, as you'll see, to your husband. You can submit to the pastor and the elders. But is there honor in that context? And then for brothers in Christ, is there a love? And then is there a fear of God? Is there a fear of God? We are to submit, obey, and honor. And lastly, we should be praying for all of them. Turn lastly to 1 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy 2. You want to get things done in government? Pray. Pray. You know, I've heard people speak up about this election, how they prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and how it was impossible. I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. God was gracious. God was gracious. Pray for our leaders that they would be saved. As we'll say... Look at 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Paul tells Timothy, First of all, then I urge that entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of what? All men. All men. Pray for everybody. For kings and all who are in authority in order that we may lead a tranquil life, tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our, and our God and Savior, who desires all men to be saved, to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony born at the proper time. Pray for everybody. Pray for the leaders. When you're tempted to dishonor somebody because of the way they act, pray for them. Remember, they're created in God's image. We need to confess if we failed. I failed. We need to confess. We need to honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, and we need to pray for everyone, including our leaders. So how are we to live in the midst of an ungodly world led by ungodly governments? We're to be continually submitting, obeying, honoring, and praying. I really think that summarizes it. That's the foundation that God might use our obedience to him as a foundation for salvation of those who do not know him. There are some of you here who are not saved. You don't fear God. You cannot love the brotherhood, thus. You don't honor all men. And actually, you have probably a lot of animosity and hate towards people you disagree with. We were all once that way. But Christ saved us. Acknowledge your sinfulness and your need of a Savior. Go to Jesus. Cry for salvation. He'll save you. What about us? Are we willing to obey Christ 
submit to him in relationship to the ordered relationships he has placed in our lives. We are to stay far from fleshly lusts. Are we staying far from fleshly lusts in regard to submission to government? I pray that we are. Let's, let's, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for this truth, Lord God. And I pray that we will take it to heart, that we will submit for your son's sake, for the Lord's sake, that we will submit to every human institution, that we will, we will honor all men. We will love your people. We will fear you. We will honor the president and those in authority. Lord God, I pray that we would be examples, although we're slandered. I pray as people observe our good deeds, our obedience to you, Lord God, from the right heart, that they might glorify you in the day of visitation, that they might be silenced in concern of their sinful words and their mouths might be opened to give you glory and honor and praise. May we see the whole sphere of ordered relationships differently, every single one as a venue for you to be glorified when you visit with salvation. Thank you, Lord God, for your word. We pray this in Jesus' name.